Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the I'll Be Back podcast. Um, this week, we are joined by uh, Josh Berlin. Josh, thanks for uh, joining us. No problem, Sean. Thanks for having me. Um, so uh, just to start, I'm drinking uh, Bailey's on the Rocks this week. It's a weird fall day, so that's what I chose. Uh, I told Josh he was welcome to drink with, drink with me. He declined. Um, for those of you who don't know, Josh has been uh, running a website called uh, City of Basketball Love. Uh, for how many years have you done that? So we launched June 2012, so eight years ago. It's our ninth year. Wow. Um, and he covers high school sports for Philly. He kind of dives into uh, the Big Five as well. Um, it's great for recruiting, great for in a normal year following the public league, Catholic league, et cetera. Um, how did you get into that? <laughs> like, how, how did you start this website? So, um, the, yeah, there's like a long version of that and a short version of that. I got really into undergrad, uh, first at Pittsburgh and then at Temple. And um, when I transferred to Temple, I started studying journalism. And I'd fallen so much in love with college basketball that I was kind of like, you know, it'd be fun while I'm studying journalism to do some college basketball writing. I actually did some college football writing first, uh, covered Temple football for a couple of years with like Al Scoop and, and a couple other sites. And uh, then I met a guy named Aaron Bracey. It was senior year at Temple for me, 2011, 2012. He's like, I've got the site called Phila Hoops. Do you want to write for us? I was like, absolutely. So I spent that year uh, just covering mostly Temple and Drexel. I did a little LaSalle, a little Villanova, a little Penn. Um, went with Drexel when they almost made the CAA tournament. I, the, you know, great Drexel team. So uh, that really, I just was like, this was all, I was, uh, that was, it. you know, I just, I fell in love with, with covering hoops that year. It was fantastic. And so that, that year, um, you know, while I got along really well with Aaron, we just had some sort of creative differences. And I just, you know, I was 22. I wanted to be my own boss. So I started my own, I started my own site um, with another writer from Phil Hoops, Andy Edwards. And uh, we just kind of went from there. I mean, at the time I was going into law school, I didn't know that this was going to become my career. Um, and then it just sort of, I fell in love with it really quickly. I loved covering the high school side, the recruiting side. Uh, left law school, been working on COBL, and now, you know, over the years, as I've learned the realities of the, you know, today's journalism market and, you know, uh, how much you can realistically make uh, running a website like mine, I've, I've had to, ha you know, diversify a little bit, so I'm not running it quite the way I used to uh, five or six years ago, but, um, you know, was happy to still be around and having an impact on the local hoop scene for sure. That's, I, I guess, I don't know why. I started reading you probably immediately. Like I was a senior at Temple 2013 and I was reading it then. And I was like, this is great. Like, I mean, I, I loved local sports, uh, local Philly hoops. Um, and I thought your coverage of the college teams was great as well. Um, I followed you. You've been a great follow on Twitter for anybody who Thank you. look look him up and uh, the website's Twitter. Like they're, they're great for updates and just kind of, um, presenting news for any anything if you follow any of the big five schools um so i, I guess i didn't realize i've I started you i for some reason just it was it's such a run well website then i figured you'd been around for years <laughs> no no i just uh you know i i i watched and learned from a couple other people um but i've always kind of been the one I, i've always been the type of person that likes being in charge um not that i'm gonna say like i think in 2013 2014 that 
first group of writers that we had was fantastic and we were working a lot. Um, and I certainly think our quality was pretty good for a, you know, amateur website run by a bunch of 22, 23 year olds. You know, looking back on it now, it's funny, I just, uh, so I, I realized I had some really old bookmarks in, in Google Chrome and one of them was a notebook from an Elevate Hoops event in 2013. And I was like, I just looking at it, I was like, oh my God, like it was, I mean, it was good info, you know, like the finished product was fine, but looking at my interview questions and everything and my writing has come so far in seven <laughs> years. So I, I'm so proud of all of the work we've done. And I'm, I am very, very proud of like that, that first group that really just like maybe thought that COBL could be this big thing. And um, not that it isn't, but you know, like we really thought like, okay, be a really big thing. And, uh, it, you know, it's, it obviously had a lot of room for growth, but there's still a lot to be proud of there for sure. And you said you at one point started uh, writing with Alscoop. Uh, how was that? Just like a little bit, okay. uh, just a little bit during, during college. I mostly, when I covered uh, football, I mostly was writing for a site called Buzz on Broad. I mean, DiCarlo's great. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, he knows Temple Athletics better than anybody. Um, so I, he was certainly somebody that I learned from. Uh, I think most from John is what I've learned is like how to be a good interviewer, like in a group setting. I mean, he's really good at asking questions, having his voice heard, asking good questions, following up, not being shy. And I, I was really shy beforehand. And I'd be like, oh, maybe I'd ask like one question in an interview. And now I really, you know, not to be over the top and like, you know, you don't take over like a NCAA tournament press conference, but just understanding like, okay, you know, if there's three or four reporters in a room after a game, it's okay to ask a bunch of questions. It's okay to, you know, ask several topics. It's okay if the coach has heard that question before, but you weren't there last week and that's not your fault, you know? Uh, so I learned a lot from John, but no, most of the time I was with Buzz on Broad uh, and then Phil Hoops. Okay. I'm, I'm an Al Scoop guy. I've actually met John before. He's awesome. Great guy. Um, how was uh? What, what was the other site you said you were for? Buzz on Broad. It was called Buzz on Broad. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a guy named Drew Cohen started it. Um, he kind of wanted it to be like an all Philadelphia sports blog. Uh, I'm pretty sure Elliot Shore Parks, who now covers the Eagles, he was, was there at one with point. Them. Um, I think Kyle Philippi, who's a good N NHL writer. Um, I think he was with them at the beginning. I'm trying to think. It was, I mean, that was now you're talking ten years ago at this point. <laughs> um, and then it just sort of like. You know, I really was a storyteller and I wanted to do like deep interviews and Buzz on Broad was wanted to be a little bit more like Crossing Broad, you know, wanted to, mm -hmm. you know, be a little witty and put out quicker things. And then, you know, that's fine. I, I don't think it's really around anymore, uh, <laughs> but it was, and I don't mean that in like a bad way, you know. No, but you got your start there, so you got to credit it. Right, well. right. For sure. For sure. Um, but then, yeah, so I, I, when I launched COBL, I had a pretty good idea, at least journalistically. Uh, if not necessarily, I didn't realize how much of the small colleges we'd be covering. I didn't realize exactly like what our angle would be, but I knew that journalistically, I wanted to take it serious. I knew I didn't want it to be, you know, just a quick little blog thing. I wanted it to be articles, in-depth interviews. I really wanted to get to know the scene rather than just sort of touch on topics. That's awesome. So you, you've come a long way and um, I guess, uh, what can you uh, tell us about the, the new Temple uh, recruits that we just got? Speaking of articles, I, I was reading both of the ones you had up on them. Both are really, really good. Um, again, Temple fans uh, follow his site and him on Twitter, but he does have really good articles up right now about uh, Hicks and Miller, who we just got. Uh, so what can you tell us about them? Yeah, I mean, 
I think Miller and I, you know, it's really tough because I hate to put too much expectations on it on a, a high school kid, but uh, you know, when you talk about a kid who can change a culture of a program, and I think Temple is a program that needed a culture change. Uh, I think Fabe Miller is the kind of kid who brings that. I mean, he's a he's a tough Philadelphia guard. When you think Philly guard, like he's that kind of kid. And I watched him as a young player at Martin Luther King. He came to my underclassmen showcase that year after his freshman year. And there was a lot to like about him. And he played really hard no matter the situation. He was a really good defender. He could score from all three levels. And you knew he was good. But the public league is a, it's a really tough league to get an analysis in because it's so up and down. It's not nearly as structured as a game as the college game. Not, I mean, not even close to like the Catholic League, which gives you a much better approximation. So it's just really hard to get a feel for just how good a kid is in the pub. So then when he transfers to Newman Goretti, you go, okay, you know, we're going to see how good this kid really is. And he, uh, he had such an impressive junior year for them not only just from a standpoint of just playing really well consistently against high level competition that he'd never really faced before. Um, at least in terms of, again, the, the structure of the planning, not that he hadn't faced talent, but just not in that way. But then also uh, the way he fit in on a team that had four division one level seniors and all these, you know, I mean, he could have come in and been so intimidated. They had a good rotation coming back. It wasn't like they needed him to come in and be the man. And he just, he fit in so well and played so well for them um, that I think, you know, I've seen a lot of kids that are, you know, three-star recruits and that get ranked and stuff. And I think he, you know, had there been an AU circuit this summer, I think he would have put himself in that sort of top 150 conversation. Um, Cause I don't know that he's any worse than a Shiz Alston was coming out of high school. Yeah. And I, that's, I've, I've had, um, Hicks's AAU coach, Brandon Williams, was on a couple weeks ago, and I asked him basically the same question about Miller, and he said exactly what you said. Um, and then to actually quote your the article that you, you wrote for your website, uh, you said on him, uh, and though he didn't have a laundry list of offers or a bunch of stars by his name on the scouting services, don't let that fool you. He certainly has the requisite resume of that prototypical Philly guard, and there's quite a bit to him that hints that Al's got themselves quite the underrated talent. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, and again, it's, it's, it's so tough because, you know, it's not like this is a kid who's been a five-star recruit his whole life and has had to deal with that kind of expectation. He hasn't really had that level of expectation before. That being said, every challenge that he's stepped up to, he's, he's played like, you know what I mean? When you, when you see, yeah. it, it's sometimes tough to take like the reputation out of the analysis. And then so when you're looking at a kid who hasn't gotten that, reputation and locally obviously people people really appreciated his game but then you're sort of like am I missing something but then I think it's more with him it's other people are missing it partly because he you know he came to Newman Garetti late uh so those national guys aren't going to see him six times this year like like most of us uh if not more um as for Hicks so he's a kid I, I saw him before his junior year I didn't see him during his junior season but I did see him a couple times before his junior year and look Temple needs outside shooting. It needs length on the perimeter, and it needs outside shooting. Um, Hicks is a kid. He's 6'8". He's got great size. He can, you know, he, he's not really like a put-the-ball-on-the-floor kind of guy just yet. But, you know, if, you give, if he gets a step on a guy, he can straight line drive to the basket kind of drive. Um, but he, he can stretch the floor. You know, he gives them size. I think he's a great 3 and D kind of guy for them. 
I think he can develop into that, you know, potential lead scorer off the wing. Um, but I think he's a great uh, perimeter threat with size that'll play in the AAC. Um, I like the get for him. Um, yeah, I think it's a really good two-man class. I think they've got some intriguing length in there, some intriguing size. I think Miller brings that attitude that they desperately needed. Uh, it's good to have a local kid. Um, I don't know much about Brandon Sanders, this, the the big man. Um, yeah, that Temple has whiffed on like its last five big men. So Sanders seems like a question mark, and there's still some. I don't even know if it, if he's doing a prep year or what. Like, it sounds like he's doing a prep year this year, then redshirting next year. So we might yeah. not even see him on a, a Temple uniform for two years, if he even is taken. I mean, there's still rumors of him being kind of a fill-in for now and see how that goes. I will say, in Temple's defense, uh, I think it's really difficult to recruit quality big men at the AAC level. Um, almost more so than it is to find a good big man in the Atlantic 10. And I say that because the difference between an A-10 big man and a power five, 20 offer kind of kid usually isn't much, but it's, you know, an inch or two here or a late break out there or whatever. But when you're talking about the American, like you can't get away generally. I mean, as we've seen with Temple, you can't just get like a 6'11 project, but if a kid's 6'11 and really skilled, then they're likely going to have power five offers. So there's such a small gap of kids, you know, I mean, you can, Ernest the Flacco, I guess, is kind of the one who's been okay the last few years of the true five men, but it, it's a really tough level to recruit centers because anybody that's, that's really ready to play is probably going power five. And no, I absolutely would agree with that. And I guess I've, I've personally never thought of that. And I mean, when Temple was in the A-10 I wouldn't say they're ever getting, I mean, Lavoie Allen was a great get, um, but it wasn't like they were getting super studs, but those guys were good enough for the A-10. And now, they, like you said, now you're in the AAC and you're getting these big men. They might get a couple AAC offers, but if they get that one Big Ten offer or that one Pac-12 offer, it's hard to compete with that. And you know they're probably taking that offer. So that, I actually have never thought of it like that. And it, it puts it into some perspective. I mean, I was still waiting on uh, Devontae Watson to uh, transform into a formidable player and just he'd, he'd still be a temple if he was still trying to figure it out you know <laughs> yeah you know if you, I, I now I'm like blanking a little bit on some of the top uh big men in the AAC but obviously the one that comes to mind is like Taco Fall yeah and obviously he was a good big man in the league but like he was by no means like a sure thing you know I mean he was big and seven five and awkward and you know he wasn't totally ready and he took a little bit to come around so you know who who of the I'm like looking now at the I feel like know, top like, big men. I feel like Cincinnati and Memphis are usually they probably go like their centers usually like six foot eight and more athletic than an actual center. Right. So exactly. To prove the exactly. point, like they're not getting a big man, they're probably getting a four, and then they're just super athletic and it works in their favor. And I think that's why Temple could most likely get away with a system that plays, if not exactly Devondre Perry and JP Mormon you know, as your big man, like in the mm -hmm. future, like that's more where you got to go get the skill guys who are a little undersized. Cause I, I think going after the seven footers who were that good, you know, like mm -hmm. is Derek Lively going to go to temple? No, he's not. No. Um, that was the other, he's kind of like a 
wing power forward, uh, Nassim Poplar was one I was like, maybe, but no, it's not, no chance in hell. <laughs> he's not a, he's not a forward. He's a, he's a combo guard. Is he a combo guard? Okay. Well, he's, he, a, combo guard. he's a combo guard. Yeah. He's like a, he's, he's really like a pure two guard. Like really? he's not really a point guard, but he's so good with the ball in his hands that I could see that happening. Um, but he reminds me a bit of Jaquan Newton in that not necessarily like he's faster than Newton. Newton had a little more of a slower game that really like was impressive. Uh, Poplar's a little more flash, a little more length, a little more athleticism, but just in the sort of like, he's a super talented on ball guard who probably is ultimately a two guard. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I was following his recruiting and I was like, we're technically on his interested list. And then I saw him do like a windmill dunk almost from the foul line. And I was like, yeah, we're probably not getting him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's a ridiculous story. He was a kid. He didn't even play basketball his ninth grade year. Wow. He was a baseball kid. And then he walked into the gym before 10th grade and here we are. That's his history. So, <laughs> yep. Um, so I like, I mean, I like Hicks a lot. I think he's obviously got to put on a little bit of weight. And everything you've said about uh, Miller, uh, again, like I've talked to a couple other people, they've all confirmed that. I think with Miller, the, the, at first it was a little tough to handle because we were going after Stevie Mitchell, who was the big star guy. And the, somebody, everybody has said we've basically been in on him since he was a freshman. So it, I think it just sucked to miss out on him. And then four days later, Miller commits. And it was kind of like a, not, um, I kind of saved face there a little bit, I think. Yeah, I, I like, I really like, Stevie Mitchell, I've seen him play a bunch for the AAU. I saw his Wilson team play this year against Methacton. It was one of the best games of the year. They won. Um, he's an A-plus kid, as is Miller, by the way. One of the best interviews I've ever done with a high school kid. I was blown away. Just really, really just thoughtful and, and um, just gives some great answers and the passion. If you, if you read the story, you can kind of get yeah. a feel for what, you, what I'm talking about. Um, and, and Stephen Mitchell's a really bright kid. Um, you know, I'm almost surprised he ended up at Marquette. Like, I just, I sort of assumed he would be like a Stanford, Vanderbilt kind of kid. Um, Marquette's a great program, don't get me wrong. Like, I just, mm -hmm. you sort of, like, I almost wouldn't have been surprised if Stevie Mitchell went to Penn. You know what I mean? Like, he was, he's really bright. So I wouldn't have been shocked if he, if he went that really high academic route. But um, I, my guess is the difference between Stevie Mitchell and Heisier Miller is not as big as the recruiting rankings would have you think it is. That's, I mean, as a Temple fan, that's good to hear. <laughs> that's what we want. My, my issue, and there's going to be, you know, if anybody watches this, that's a Stevie Mitchell fan. My issue with him is I don't think he's a great outside shooter. Okay. I just don't, I, I think it's, and I think when you talk Temple specifically, I think that's a problem. I don't know how good of a fit that would have been, having another guard who isn't a great shooter. Miller is a very strong outside shooter. He's a high, you know high 30s kind of guy. He's got a really nice shot. I don't love Stevie Mitchell's outside shot. Um, so that's, you know, if, if he improves that, mm -hmm. sky's the limit for the kid. Yeah. Uh, but Miller, I think, I, I think Miller could be really good. Um, and then the other thing I've heard about Miller is – when he was playing in some of those AAU tournaments against some of the top guys like Worley and stuff, he was obviously like holding his own, especially defensively is everything I've, I've heard and read about, which is. Yeah. I mean, that's his, his defense is his bread and butter as good a score as he is. Like he, he, he's got the athleticism. He's got the energy. Um, he's got like, he's that Philly bulldog kind of kid. Yeah. And I think, you know, if Aaron McKee is going to connect at Temple and, you know, due to that program, but, 
they're hoping he can do with that program, that's the kind of kid he's got to bring in and connect with. Um, Cause Fran Dunphy wasn't that kind of coach. You know, I like Fran. He's a really nice guy. Um, but especially as he got older, I think he was recruiting nicer players, but I don't think he had anybody with that, you know, Aaron McKee, Philadelphia guard mindset. Um, and I think, I think Miller can bring that. Yeah. And I, th I think, especially getting a, the first, what Philly guard in how many years, like they've struck out on so many Philly players, it seemed like. So just seeing that next to his name, like from Philadelphia was also, I think a big plus for McKee. And it's, it's not easy. Like, I've always been a proponent of don't judge schools by their ability to recruit local talent. Because, like, look, I'm, you know, from just outside Philadelphia. When I was in high school, the last thing I wanted to do was go to college within, you know, an hour of where I lived. Like, I wanted to get away for college. I went to Pitt for two years, and it took being out there to realize, like, actually, no, I really wanted to be back home, so I transferred to Temple. But I really can't blame most high school kids, especially if you grow up like in Philly. Like it's not like you're growing up in Downingtown where Philly's oh an hour away and yeah, you're in the burbs, but like you're far enough away that, you know, mm -hmm. you're separated. If you grow up in Philly, much less North Philly, but really any of the Philly neighborhoods, yeah. like do you really want to go to Temple? basketball aside like do you you know most kids don't want to go to college 10 minutes from where they grew up and that's fine like some do but a lot don't and I think especially basketball players because they have these opportunities to go elsewhere I think that the temptation of going elsewhere is is intriguing to a lot of them so I've never been one to be like oh my god Temple needs to have six Philly kids on the roster I, I don't think that's true I think it's nice if they can get a couple from the area I think South Jersey is a great area I think the Burbs are nice um, but I don't think that necessarily it's it's like a failure if they have to rely on DC kids on New York kids North Jersey kids um, if they're the, if they're that right Philly mindset, like if they're that tough mindset, they they just need to get players in there that that are self driven um, to that next level uh, in the way that Villanova's gotten. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I've a couple weeks ago, me and me and like one of my best friends, we got on this and we kind of talked about in depth the recruiting mishaps. And we talked about Rasheed Jordan. He's like the prime example of try to go away and it just didn't work out for him and. Temple would have loved to have him, but you know well, why he left. Whole, that's a whole other thing. I know, and you, but you know why he left at the time. Like he wanted to get out of the, the city, so. And um, and he should have. Like that was that was the right call for him. Like he had a lot of negative influence around him in Philadelphia, and getting out to New York was the right call. Uh, unfortunately, he kept coming back to Philly. Um, I think your posters are doing a little. Dance yeah, right don't there. don't mind the things in the background <laughs> falling down. Um. So, you know, I can't blame him. And I think, especially when the, you know, when kids come from, uh, you know, less than ideal circumstances, then you especially want to get out of Philadelphia. Um, but yeah, he, he, he was, his is just a tragic story. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Hicks, I think is a good get and he's a local kid. And like you said, we need three point shooting. And it sounds like he could be that, that three and D wing. And if he's hitting, I mean, if you've, Two years from now, Miller's starting point guard and he's their starting three. It sounds like a good team. Well, it's, I mean, it's at least a good start. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think we're we getting need a couple other players. Definitely need a couple more. Um, and we'll see. Like uh, you said, you didn't know a whole lot about the, the 2020 class, and I didn't either. I mean, it's it's kind of a 
a giant uh, scramble there. But I think it's McKee getting his guys in too, which I do like. It's good length. Like that, I will say, like Julio White is 6'6 and has really good length. He's the one who came from South Jersey that I do know. I mean, he brought in Caleb Battle, who's also got, you know, 6'4", 6'5", with long arms and, mm-hmm. and can shoot. Saw him in high school. Uh, you know, Damian Dunn, 6'4". Jeremiah Williams is 6'5". Quincy Adamakoya, Ad- right? Yeah. He, uh, I think, could be the steal of that. 6'5". Yeah, and then Nick Jordan is 6'8". So I like the length, you know, theoretically. I just don't know that much about these kids. Um I think, you know, length is good. Length is what you need to play defense. I'm assuming they're, you know, pretty athletic, uh, given that, you know, the AAC and the general level of athleticism of Kid Temple's brought in. You know, Jake Forrester is a great athlete. Sage Tolbert is a really good athlete. Heistio Miller is a great athlete. Um, you know, and then there's just a lot of question marks around Temple right now, and not necessarily, you know, you hear that, and sometimes it's like, in a really negative way. Like, there's a lot of question marks around the Eagles right now, and that's, you know, a whole <laughs> mess yeah, of a situation. There's a lot of question marks around Temple, but some of them or a whole bunch of them could be resolved positively. We just don't know. You know, yeah. we just it's just – it's too early in McKee's tenure to know exactly what kind of coach he is and what kind of player development guy he is. It's too early in a lot of these kids' careers to know, you know, uh, was Caleb Battle's inability to get underway at, at, at Butler – uh, you know, a real issue, or was it just because Butler's a you know hell of a program in the Big East, and just that slight drop down to Temple is he's going to flourish or being in a different situation? You know, who knows? Like, um, yeah, no, and yeah, I um, kind of I asked before we started recording, like, what do you if you see any change in between McKee and how Fran ran the team, and that's basically what you said is there's just a lot of unknown, and what do you think? Like, two years from now, we'll have a more concrete answer for that. I think. I think this season we'll have, have a, 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 be, a much better answer than we've had before. But, yeah, I mean, I think realistically, I think certainly by the end of next season, we should have an idea of which way it's trending um, based on how this, you know, this class looks. Because by then they'll be, you know, nearing the end of their sophomore year, by the end of 2022, and they'll have a better idea, okay, who's, who's busts, who aren't. Um, by then we'll know, you know, how good Strickland is, how good Battle is, how good Dunn is. It'll be a roster fully uh, of, of McKee's guys. But this is the first year that he's had more his guys than Dunphy's guys. The only issue is his guys are four freshmen and, you know, three sophomores, a bunch of whom are red shirts and transfers. And, you know, it's not like – so the roster wasn't even all here last year. Uh, and then you have the COVID situation. Yeah, so, but, like, that on top of everything else, like, can we curse on this podcast? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm drinking. Like, so. who, the fuck, who, the, who the fuck knows, right? Like, uh, there's so many ways this could go. Um, yeah, one of my first episodes, I kind of went over the, the new recruits. And uh, I'm not saying it's the exact same thing, but it was the closest thing I could think of a college basketball team doing what the Sixers did with the process. Like, hey, we're just going to bring in a bunch of new players. The guys, like, the old guys clearly didn't work. Yeah, I mean, it's a common thing for college. Like, that's yeah. so common when colleges change coaches. Even, yeah. I mean, and this was a situation where McKee took over directly from Dunphy. Like, you would think this was going to be as smooth as possible. And it was. There wasn't really that many transfer outs. 
you know, Pierre Louis just transferred out, but he had committed to McKee anyway, so I'm not exactly sure what happened there. Yeah. Um, you know, there there there's nobody on the roster that was a Dunphy guy that came that suddenly left because McKee was the coach. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Justin Hamilton left, but he clearly wasn't good enough to play at Temple. No, I was uh, wrong about that one. <laughs> he was yeah, the big I, man I thought could have been like the last year developed into like a 13 and six guy with a stretch the floor. Damian Moore would, I thought Damian Moore was going to turn out to be decent and he just never really got any uh, better. He had that 20 and 10 game and he fooled us all. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, it's just been a, it's been a, but like maybe Parks is that kind of kid. He's not six eleven, seven feet. He's a little undersized. He's maybe not the, the ideal body shape, but if he mm-hmm. plays hard and gives him effort, like that could be the kind of big that's successful at that level. No, and I agree. It's the perfect kind of kid. I, I think um, like, you know, the Sanders guy is a question mark definitely, but right now I, I like Forrester a lot. I like Parks a lot. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the bigs right now on paper look like they're, they're suitable. I think Forrester's defense and rebounding has to improve, but I mean, the way, you know, you're running a big man to the rim now with Ali Oops. He's the perfect guy for that. Yeah, he, he actually played better last year than I thought he would be. Um, yeah. And I think if he continues to – and then remembering, okay, he only was a sophomore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's got to take another – like you said, he's got to take a legitimate step forward. That's the kind of like what Temple hasn't had. It's like every year, they whatever big man they bring in, they kind of are that player for four yeah. years. And I don't know if that's the player development thing, if that's just the guys they're bringing in just – don't have that much more ceiling to attain but if Forrester can take a legitimate step from last year I mean what, what did he average last year uh he finished averaging about 10 that yeah seven and a half points three and yeah. half rebounds yeah if he can become a double digit guy and really he's got to get that rebound number way higher for his yeah. athleticism no yeah. doubt you're no doubt um, you're getting more than three rebounds <laughs> he's not he's really only like six seven and a half six eight he's yeah. really not that tall He's very bouncy. Yes. Um, also another A-plus kid. I really like Jake Forrester. Yeah, uh, good interview as well. Yeah, just super nice. I just, you know, if you ever notice, he plays the game with a smile on his face, and I always yes. appreciate that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if you're talking about key keys for Temple to be decent this year, he's got to be top three. I mean, if he's not number one. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I mean, his scoring is definitely going to be big. And, we again, we got to see kind of what their rotation is, um, how much, you know, I think Damian Dunn could be a big factor. I think Quincy could be a big factor. Jalil White, I've I've seen some people saying he could play a lot or he might even redshirt, so I don't know what the deal is there. Um, and I liked him a lot. I'm I'm all for, like, Team Lanky, and you give me a six-foot-six point guard, um, I'm in. <laughs> So you must have loved Michael Carter-Williams, huh? Uh, yes, I was at his first game when they beat the Heat, and we all drank that Kool-Aid, and then downhill <laughs> from downhill from there. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, you, you know, length is the thing you can't teach. So no, that's why uh, I want to be a defensive team. The the Hicks thing, I think, again, I like that too about him. He's got the length. I like most about this team is that they don't have Quentin Rose anymore. <laughs> that's probably my biggest. <laughs> Quentin Rose had his uh, ups and downs. Uh, he I mean, just he, never, you know, he was never the guy. If he's your second or third best player, you're a pretty good team, but he just couldn't, but, couldn't be the best. But player. the thing is, I don't even know if that's necessarily true. His raw talent is certainly impressive. He can't 
shoot threes like at all. And his overall shot selection is extremely questionable. And just as a senior, it was just like, I don't know. You know, you can have guys that take crazy shots, but if they're not making them, you know. But Temple's biggest problem, like, I, like I've said seven times in this podcast, is that they just don't have – they just didn't have any outside shooting. I mean, he couldn't no. shoot. Nate Pierre-Louis couldn't shoot. Like, they would have – three or four non-shooters on the floor at any given time. And you can't win like that. No, especially not in today's, you know, era, maybe 15 years ago, you could pull that off. Right. No, not, not at all. I mean, you're, you're set up for failure at that point. Yeah. But between the two of them, I thought they both had pretty underwhelming seasons. Like Nate towards the end, I don't think Nate could score at the end of the year. And you're watching, like you said, Quentin shooting a 20 foot jumper that he's bricking. And you're like, all right, well, the next play, let's get Nate going to the bucket. And Nate didn't seem to be as aggressive as he had been in years past either, which uh, probably why they lost, what, eight other last 11 games? <laughs> and then Alani Moore was a very talented player in high school in AAU. And he became a three-point specialist, and that's okay. Uh, but, you know, I mean, he was 5'9", so he's not giving you much in terms of length. It just, yeah, I, it, just I was, think... it just was a roster that didn't work. I actually agreed with that, though. Like, seeing his highlights in high school, you're like, oh, he's 5'9", but he's super quick. And, like, he looked like he could get a shot off at the high school level. And then it really took him a while to figure it out. And, like you said, he kind of just developed himself into the corner three guy. But that was it. He would have been a great Atlantic 10 guard. I think, he, you know, one, I think he wasn't – it's not like he was an NEC guard. I mean, he was a really good player. He just, I think, was like one league or, you know, one little level yeah. too high. You throw him on St. Joe's or something, probably pretty good. <laughs> yeah, compare him to Jared Bynum or Lamar Campbell, absolutely. Um, that, that's a good segue. So you cover all the big five schools, not just Temple and not just Temple recruiting. Um, just like a brief one, two sentences on all the other schools, like how are they feeling right now, assuming there is a season. Um, how how yeah. are they looking? <laughs> how are they looking? Like, uh, Villanova is Villanova's going to be okay. I think they'll yeah. be all right. They're, they're uh, projected they got to that. make the final four again. <laughs> Colin Gillespie kid, he's okay. I love um, that they Brady can just Tracy, keep, see what Eric Dixon. They can just Villanova just keeps replacing their six foot three dominant point guard with the next six foot three <laughs> dominant point guard. It's impressive, actually. I mean, hey. <laughs> I would argue there's no program in college basketball rolling like Villanova is rolling right now. I would agree. And the that's, kids they want. It's at Temple's expense right now, too. <laughs> today, everybody's expense in this region. I mean, they've just, they've just got – they're so locked in on that mindset, and Jay Wright's gotten them that level of success that nobody's going to question what he does. And I don't mean that in a, in a negative way. Obviously, what he's doing is, is great. It's working. You know, from all, all appearances. <laughs> And he gets great kids. It's not like he gets these kids that don't talk and he's got them under, you know, you know, lock and key. Like he's – his kids are great. His kids yeah. are awesome. Oh, like yeah, he, no. And it's not like they're – His kids are on social media. They're not scared. They're not under some regime where they're afraid to uh, share their voice. They're, they're out there. Um, so I, I can't – it's really tough to find a better word to say about the Linova's program right now. My, my interest is just to see what Eric Dixon does, the Abington big man who redshirted last year. He still might be a year away because uh, Jeremiah Robinson Errol is so good. But I would imagine Dixon plays some this year. Yeah, Dixon um, I saw in high school a lot. He is a really good player. Oh, he's fantastic. And also, again, like another A-plus kid. Um, um, I'll ask. I'll ask you this. If you were a best – get a, a betting man, does Jay Wright ever leave Nova? No. 
No, I'm in the same no. boat. Unless why, like, why, why would he? I mean, the Sixers, if there was ever a time, like, and not that the Sixers team is kind of all over the place. So I understand why you wouldn't want to coach this current Sixers iteration, but like he's got it made. He's got a great job with great pay. He's the man at Villanova. He's, you know, I think he's seen what's happened to some of the guys that have left uh, for the pros that just, it hasn't worked out for them and they bounced around. And it's like, I think there's still this reputation Jay Wright has as like the young hot coach and he's not young anymore, obviously, but it's like, I think people sort of forget, like he's 60 now, you know, like mm-hmm. he's not 45 where he was the young, like he's, there's no reason I think for him to reinvent his career. And I think he totally realizes that. Um, I don't know if he'll ever come out and be like, I'm just never going to take any NBA job, but if he's not willing to, to even entertain the Sixers, like I, I can't see him ever leaving. Um, and like, what's he going to do? Like at 67, suddenly, I mean, look how horrible that worked for Bayline. I, I, I can't see him doing it. I just can't. No. And I, I I'm in the same boat. I didn't know if, uh, if you had a, an absurd prediction to come at me like, Oh no, if my big, if like the Knicks offered him like 12 mil a year, no, like, never oh, going to happen. No, no, but. <laughs> but it won't. But like, that's the thing. He's like, he's smart enough. Like the, my guess would be if he ever was going to, you know, coach in the NBA, it would be for a franchise like the Spurs or somebody that's been really successful when, uh, you know, with Popovich retired and they wanted Jay Wright. But like, even then he doesn't want to move to San Antonio. No, you know what I mean? So like, in the main line. <laughs> right. If the Spurs played in Radnor, then maybe, but they don't. So like, it's not going to happen. So Nova's still good. And Jay Wright's still Nova's good. So, good. Right, so um, so LaSalle, LaSalle's, I mean, they're a little all over the place. Um, you know, they haven't quite been good yet under Ashley Howard. Uh, this is his third year though. So there's still time. Um, you know, they've got some interesting pieces. I mean, Jack Clark, the six, eight kid from Cheltenham sat all out last year out with a knee injury. He should be back and healthy. Um, I really like Christian Ray. I think similar to Miller with Temple, I think Christian Ray is like a program you know, mentality setting kind of kid. He didn't quite have the on-court impact freshman year that I expected him to, but I think he, he, I still think like the future is bright for him there. So, you know, if he can take a big step forward, um, I'm interested to see what they get out of Clifton more, but honestly, like they lost to Ed Croswell. And I, if, if Ed hadn't transferred to Providence, I think they could be really good this year, at least, you know, like upper level A-10 competitive. Without him, they're a little thin up front, especially in the bulk category. Moore is not a, a terrifically strong kid. Brandon Stone isn't a really strong kid. Uh, Ize, the freshman big man, is the freshman big man. Um, you know, I like Jameer Brickus, freshman guard from Coatesville, kids talented. Uh, how his game is going to translate to the Atlantic 10, I, I could kind of see it going either way. I and mean, he's really, ta- like, he could be, he could really light it up and the kid can really score the basketball. Um, he's used to sort of playing in a dominant conference where he's just, his team has just kind of rolled everybody. He's never played this level of competition consistently before. Uh, and he's a little undersized. So could see it going either way with him. I, I, I think LaSalle is still probably a year away from being competitive. Um, but that depends on how their young kids play this year. I think they're, they're in a bit of an interesting position. It's, if Croswell hadn't transferred, uh, I, I would think a lot better of them, but that's a, it was an interesting transfer out for several reasons, and it, it makes me a little cautious of them, but, you know, they've got to prove it. 
Um, St. Joe's, I mean, they were really bad last year. They should be much improved this year. Um, I really like Jordan Hall, 6'8 kid from Newman Garetti. is terrific. Uh, excellent passer. He's like a point forward. Um, he's, I was going to say he's like Ben Simmons, except that he can actually shoot. He's not <laughs> a super athletic, but he, he's 6'8. He passes. I mean, if you look at his highlight reel, half of it is just tremendous passes. Uh, and he can really shoot it. And like I said, he's 6'8. He's got good handle. Um, I like him a lot. Uh, Cameron Brown, Ramir Moore all coming back. They got Greg Foster, the transfer from Gonzaga, gives them more length. They just have so much more depth this year. I mean, last year they were playing like two former walk-ons. This year they're actually going to have a roster of Division One basketball players who are Atlantic 10-level kids. Does that mean they're a 500 team? Does that mean that they actually could, they could really break through and figure it out? Because – you know, nobody expects yeah. him to. I, you know, I mean, Ryan, Ryan Daly's a hell of a player. I like him a lot. And this um, is what, Lang's second year there or third? It's Lang's second year. Mm-hmm. It's Lang's second year. So, You're yeah. You're hovering I mean, around like, 500 for them? Yeah, I think they should be better than LaSalle, actually. I think they could be better than LaSalle. I would probably pick them to be better than LaSalle. Um, how much better is going to depend on how some of these newcomers mesh. But they've got some really interesting guard pieces and I wouldn't be shocked if they actually do some things. Um, so my, my best friend growing up is a huge St. Joe's fan. He still rides the Jameer Nelson year. Uh, but he, he does let me know that St. Joe's currently has more NBA players than Temple. So I'll give him that. <laughs> uh, yeah. And they might, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I should say they might have a couple more coming. But they've got some nice, you know, nice little prospects. Um, and then Penn lost a lot. Certainly, but they had this great freshman class last year, and that was with Jonah Charles missing a year due to injury. Uh, they had the six, seven sophomore kid from Israel, who I think they're pretty high on. Um, you know, Penn's got the pieces to be pretty well, good yeah. in the Ivy. I was going to say, in Penn in the Ivy, it's in the last couple of years they haven't been good, but obviously they've had their dominant no, years, and yeah, they're always they were, a. Yeah. They were a little disappointing this past year, and I, I think it was they were missing. Their, their seniors last year were really great kids, but I don't know if they were, like, as good as A.J. Broder is, as good as Ryan Bailey was. Like, I don't know if they were, like, really, like, super tough, which is weird because they play tough, but I just don't know if they're, like, the rah-rah, like, get the whole team fired up. I think they're just sort of internally, like, lead-by-example guys, but I think they needed, like, they needed a Darnell Foreman. They needed somebody to really, like – And they want more the extra guy to really up. get the team going. Yeah, and I think that these sophomores are those kind of kids. And I think this is going to start to become their team because the seniors, this year's Penn seniors, are Eddie Scott, who's been a role player for a few years, Jared Simmons, same thing, Mark Jackson, who's barely played, um, and Jelani Williams, who's missed the last three seasons with torn ACLs. And Jelani Williams is an A-plus kid. Read the piece Mike Jensen wrote on him this summer. He's fantastic. Uh, But he hasn't played in four years. You know, and then there's soft, their junior class, also kids that haven't been, you know, huge on-court producers. It's Jordan Dingle, Lucas Monroe, Jonah Charles, Max Martz, Max Lloyd. That's going to be the future of this program. So I think they're probably a year away from being really good, but that sophomore class is like a special kind of class for Penn. Good. And that's, uh, they have Donahue there, right? Is there yeah. Good? This is his fifth year or sixth year? I think sixth year. Okay. Um, then do we do Drexel? What's, what's the deal now? Are we... Sure. I don't, so do we count them as a big five school yet? I mean, I count them. I, I actually have a story. I really need to finish about them. Drexel is interesting. 
they obviously they haven't been good for like seven years and it's you know they got snaked by injuries for a few years and then they brought in some kids that just shouldn't have been brought in and i think bruiser flint got a little desperate at the end and spiker got stuck with some kids that he shouldn't have had and then the first three or four years of the spiker era they've had like freshmen out playing seniors and that leads to resentment and then kids that started off their careers well and then like all of a sudden weren't that good um, and they, they've just had sort of a turbulent roster situation. And this is the first year where they have continuity, experience, talent, and role development in that their best players are their juniors and seniors. They're kids that have started, have produced. They're not going to get overtaken by a freshman. You know, then they have juniors and sophomores who have been in the rotation, have experience, but aren't going to over, you know what I mean? Like they, they, they know their roles. They have a really great lead guard in Cam Winter. They have a great big man in James Butler. Um, they've got some interesting other pieces. Again, like how much development is there going to be with a Coltrane Washington? Uh, here's my cat. You're about to see in a second. Uh, with a Coltrane Washington, <laughs> with a Mady Okros, you know, those kind of kids. Um, but they've got some decent size. They've got some decent length. And I think for the first time, they've got a roster top to bottom that likes each other, knows its role, and, you know, wants to be where they are. You know, Kirk Lee left in the middle of the season last year after his role dropped to zero because they brought in better kids. So uh, that's not happening anymore. Um, you know, do they have many world beaters? I don't, I don't think so. But... Uh, they could, they, you know, Winter is very good. Butler is very good. It's just, I don't know who that third guy is, but if they can get a reliable one, uh, Wald's got to shoot the ball better or Okros develops his game or whatever. Um, I actually think they could be pretty good, at least in terms of the CAA. I mean, they're never, they're not like going to beat Temple. I don't think that, I don't think they'd be that, like that level good, but uh, they're in a better position now than they have been at any point in the last five or six years. We can certainly say that. Nice. So they're, it's their, like you said, it's their first year where they have like a full set roster, not too much to like outer off the court stuff to worry about. There shouldn't be. Yeah. I mean, by, from, from outside looking in, it looks like this should, you know, you never know when a problem is going to arise, but, yeah, that's but, true. but they should, they shouldn't have any problems this year. Yeah. At least no obvious ones. Um, and then just to end it, uh, how's, how's quarantine been for you? Josh, uh, what's changed? What's good, bad, ugly? Well, I got married, so that's been cool. Congratulations. Uh, that not awesome. The, thank you. It was not the wedding we had planned for. We had planned no. for a big wedding in May, but that uh, didn't happen. So we got married last month. Um, obviously, I'm you know working from home with this cat whose tail is now <laughs> blocking the... Say hi, Luke. Here we go. There's Luke. Hey, buddy. I, I said the, um, the first, first guest I had on here had his one-year-old kid walk up mid-podcast, so a cat is fine. <laughs> um yeah i mean it's just like it's just been sad watching the country continue to devolve um but you know luckily my I mean, my wife works from home she's a college professor so she's been tired of working from home i've started working again for the marketing company i've been working for um you know my parents are local and they're not really going anywhere so we've been sort of able to stay in like a quarantine loop with them so go over to their house pretty often and we haven't really seen many you know we go out for groceries when we really need to um 
How's uh, has, has the site like taken effect? Picked up recently with more? No, I mean, going you know, I, I, for a while, and I wrote about this, and for a while, I just wasn't even sure what to write about. I mean, when everything shut down, first of all, it was just so shut down for a while. So what, the, what were you going to say? I mean, there was a few national guys writing about when will basketball come back, but there wasn't anything I was going to add to that. And there's just so much more important stuff going on in this country anyway, is that anytime I felt like I should write something, something else insane would happen. And then I wouldn't feel qualified to write about that. And I would let the people who are write about it. And, you know, I just sort of felt like, you know, the Romans had this concept of bread and circuses, right? Which was when things were bad, you wanted to appease the people with bread and circuses. And I never wanted to be the bread and circuses. I didn't want to be like the, hey, there's really important stuff going on, but you know, look over here, it's a yeah. distraction. I didn't want to be that. I, I, I want to write about basketball when things are, are good. So, uh, you know, I've started getting back to writing. I mean, the site is, uh, you know, people are coming and reading. It's not like it is when we're writing every single day and have 10 up writers writing, but we just don't have capacity for that right now. We're not able to run camps. Those are our big money makers. Um, so if I can't run camps, I can't hire as much staff as I would want to. So, uh, and like I said, I've started working again. So I'm writing articles when I can. Um, and when basketball comes back, I'll, you know, we've got, we've got some money in the bank that we're going to use on writers this season. Um, so when the games start coming back and I feel it's safe, right? Now, like, I, you know, then that's the other question is like, do I feel safe sending somebody to a gym where there's, you know, a couple hundred people there or whatever that, are, you know, could, could get them COVID. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't think for my publication, it's as much as I want to cover the kids. Like I, I to me, that's not worth like risking someone's health. Um, I don't know if, I don't know how comfortable I feel. And therefore I certainly don't feel comfortable sending somebody else out there to do it. Um, so, you know, it's just weird right now. My guess is this is just going to be a weird season of coverage. What I've learned though is COBL, like we're, we've been around long enough that if I, you know, if this is a slow year and it's a weird year, um, going back to grad school starting in January, hopefully I got to hear back from some schools, but that's the plan. You know, if this is a slow year and then it takes until like 2022 for us to be running camps and, you know, doing more coverage again, like that's what it'll be. And in that time, we'll, you know, I'll stick, I'll be paying attention. I'll be following, I'll be watching games. I'll be, you know, keeping a finger on the pulse. And then when we can get back to more normal coverage, we'll get back to more normal coverage. And, um, you know, I'm not worried about it. Yeah, no, and that's, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, the same I'm worried way. about like, health in the country but i'm not worried about yeah. the site necessarily well that's i mean that's i mean obviously we want you to have as much content as possible and keep doing what you enjoy um but no it's good that you kind of have this positive outlook on it um it seems like and your head's in the right spot with hey it'll happen when it happens whether it's this high school basketball season or the next um but no and i think that's kind of how everybody is at the moment <laughs> unfortunately we're just taking it in stride right now um thank you so much for doing this josh this was such a pleasure you are amazingly knowledgeable about all of this. Um, hopefully, hopefully there is a, a college basketball season and maybe we could get you to come in and do like a midseason report on the Owls and the rest of the Big Five. Um, yeah, absolutely. I would love that. Especially if there's a season. I would love for there yes, to be a season. Yeah. But definitely we can check back in. Um, but no, thank you seriously again for doing this so much. I appreciate it. Um, I will tweet this episode out tomorrow morning, guys. I'll at Josh and the website. Awesome. Um, feel free to follow both of those because he just does a phenomenal job. 
Um, and thank you guys very much and see you guys next week.